This is the Cater Daily Podcast for Saturday, December 17th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. What is the Trump administration's plan for rebuilding what's termed crumbling American infrastructure? Cato senior fellow Randall O'Toole discusses the plans, which include tax credits for companies that take government contracts and no particular focus on infrastructure that could deliver relatively large gains in U.S. GDP. As you understand it, what is Donald Trump's plan to boost infrastructure in the United States? He suggested that we offer tax credits to private corporations who build new infrastructure or repair existing infrastructure. A lot of people think that means that the private corporations are expecting uh, to collect user fees from people for that infrastructure. But in fact, what he's suggesting is that local governments, instead of selling bonds on their own to raise money to build infrastructure, will contract with private contractors who will then sell bonds, get tax credit for their bonds, and then the local governments will repay the contractors for the infrastructure out of tax dollars. Uh, In some cases, there might be tolls or other user fees, but in most cases, uh, it would ultimately be paid for out of tax dollars. And so the question is, is there a real difference between municipal tax-free bonds or private taxed bonds, but with a tax credit? So uh, traditionally, a local government or a state government would say, well, we want this project done. They would either they would issue a bond or put one on a ballot or something like that in order to uh, undertake that infrastructure. That would count against the debt that that state has in terms of its uh, the limits that it has on debt and balanced budgets and all that sort of stuff but your your argument is that this is could alter that traditional arrangement that's right and the the local governments often have debt limits uh, they're only allowed to issue so many billion dollars worth of debt. And this is a way to get around those debt limits because the private contractor can borrow the money, the local government can contract to repay the contractor, but the debt doesn't appear on the local government's balance sheet. And so it's actually a way to get around democratically set debt limits. Uh, another supposed advantage is that the private contractors will act more efficiently than governments will when they can construct things or or maintain things. The problem with that is that if you're uh, funding your project out of user fees, you have an incentive to act efficiently. But if you're funding your project out of tax dollars, it doesn't matter whether you're a private contractor or a local government, you're going to have an incentive to spend as much as you can to get uh, as big a return as you can out of those tax dollars. You and I have talked about infrastructure on numerous occasions in, on the, in the past. What are the problems that we hear about with respect to infrastructure, and what do you view as the actual problems? Well, we hear about crumbling infrastructure, and I think that's very overrated. As John Oliver once said, asking the American Society of Civil Engineers if you're spending enough money on infrastructure is like asking a golden retriever if you're throwing enough tennis balls. Uh, The reality is that most of our infrastructure is in fairly good shape, uh, and when they talk about infrastructure, what politicians really want to do is build new infrastructure, not maintain the infrastructure we have. 
the infrastructure that we do have that's crumbling, that's in poor shape, is in poor shape because we've left it to the political sector. And rather than fix it, politicians are going and building new projects somewhere else. It's the classic seen versus unseen, maintaining existing uh, pieces of infrastructure. What would that include? Well, the infrastructure that is probably the, in the worst shape right now is local, locally owned streets and transit systems. Uh, local streets are generally funded out of tax dollars, not out of gas taxes. And transit systems are generally funded out of tax dollars. 80% or more comes out of tax dollars. And so uh, they tend to be in poor shape because it, it, the governments just don't sp spend money on maintenance. The state highway system is in pretty good shape because it's funded out of user fees, gas taxes, tolls, and other user fees. And those tend to be in, in actually much better shape than they were, say, 20 years ago. Uh, state bridges, uh, potholes, things like that, those are all in much better shape than they were 20 years ago. Uh, and so the what we need to do, instead of worrying about coming up with new finance methods, is figuring out how do we get local governments to behave more like state governments, to behave more like uh, responsible owners and, and keep their systems in good shape. So when people talk about crumbling infrastructure or things that need to be uh, worked on as a political matter, what are they referring to? Well, of course, if, if uh, you live in Washington, D.C., and you ride the metro rail system, uh, you're seeing crum crumbling infrastructure all the time. And that's a system that's uh, funded entirely out of tax dollars. All the capital costs are funded out of tax dollars. All the maintenance costs are funded out of tax dollars. Most of the operating costs are funded out of tax dollars. And so uh, the, the governments that built it didn't provide any money to maintain it. The governments that operate it don't provide any money to maintain it. And so it's in very poor shape. That's a typical example. Uh, people think that our interstate highway system is falling apart. It really isn't. It probably uh, could use some touch-up work. Uh, maybe it needs to be expanded in some places, but that's not really uh, a, a serious problem. And in, lo in local governments, I imagine if you're trying to compete with uh, shiny new things as somebody who would, would like to work on sewers or uh, transit or local streets, you sort of are at quite a loss. Well, somebody said that politicians like ribbons, not brooms. They like to be able to cut ribbons at uh, dedication ceremonies for brand new infrastructure rather than do the, the sweeping, the maintenance necessary to, to keep up existing infrastructure. And the problem I see with the uh, Trump plan is that it doesn't change that. It just says, here's a new way of financing infrastructure. Uh, go at it and, and do the same infrastructure spending priorities you've always had, which are to build new things rather than maintain existing things. How did the federal government get into local infrastructure? Uh, you know, that's a long story. Uh, basically, it comes down to the federal government deciding that one by one, here were some problems that were interstate in nature, and so uh, they deserve some federal funding, and the local governments became more and more dependent on that federal funding. Uh, the federal government also, Congress has also long had a philosophy that if it provides the capital funding, local governments won't overspend that. They won't spend more than they have the funds to maintain. 
uh, uh, they won't build more infrastructure than they have funds to maintain. And the reality is that if you give them capital money, they'll build all kinds of infrastructure, even though they have no way of maintaining it. And so we end up with a lot of local uh, infrastructure that's gotten federal funds for capital funding, but has no money for maintenance. And that is a problem that uh, is ever-present. It is. But to me, there's a really simple solution. The interstate highway system worked because it was funded out of user fees. If people didn't drive, there wouldn't have been any money to build it. So it was a feedback relationship. The more interstate highways that were built, the more people drove, the more money there was to build more. Uh, and so if we put our infrastructure systems on a user fee basis, and most of them can easily be funded out of user fees, whether we're talking about water, or we're talking about parks, or we're talking about sports arenas, whatever, they can be funded out of user fees. And once we depart from the user fee system, then we end up uh, building huge urban monuments so we don't have any money to maintain, and then we have crumbling infrastructure. It seems that local governments, if I understand you correctly, are defining infrastructure down. That is, they're counting a lot of things as infrastructure that they shouldn't, like expensive and not modular mass transit systems, big arenas, things that are shiny. Well, it's infrastructure. The question is whether it's worthwhile infrastructure. Uh, and, and this is a, really a question for uh, economists, because there's an assumption out there that when you build something, there's going to be a, a, a return to the gross domestic product. And you know, when we built the Transcontinental Railroad in 1869, we were building it along uh, across uncharted wilderness, and we were accessing all kinds of resources that we didn't have access to before. And so, every dollar we spent building it res resulted in many dollars of increase to the GDP. The same thing happened when we built the interstate highway system. We were building these fabulous roads in places that often just had dirt roads before, uh, and Again, we ended up generating all kinds of new travel, new passenger travel, new freight shipping, and that added significantly to our GDP. So that's called a GDP multiplier. If you spend $1 and you get several dollars of GDP out of it, that's a multiplier effect. Well, when you build things today, uh, you're building in areas that already have lots of highways. We have 2.7 million miles of paved roads. We have 5,000 airports with paved runways. We have 200,000 miles of railways. Uh, there just isn't very many places where you need new infrastructure, which means when you build that new infrastructure, you're not generating new GDP. Some examples are really bad, such as when you build light rail or high-speed rail and your only goal is to divert people out of their cars or out of airplanes and onto, exist, uh, onto trains, you aren't adding to economic benefits. You're just transferring, shuffling people around. So you're actually getting a negative GDP multiplier. For every dollar you spend on those things, you're reducing the GDP rather than increasing it. If the big opportunities like uh, uh, Transcontinental Railroad have been taken up, what is the typical expectation for what an infrastructure project delivers in terms of GDP? I think we're looking at highway systems that are congested, especially in urban areas. If we can relieve that congestion, we could probably add $200 billion at least to our GDP. And yet, there are ways of relieving that congestion without building new infrastructure. All we need to do is to price those highways better. 
Uh, airports are the same. We have about 375 commercial airports in this country, and some of them are kind of crowded. But how do you deal with congestion? The best way to do it is bigger airplanes, not more airports. We don't need more infrastructure to deal with congested airports. We just need some bigger airplanes, and airlines do that. You know, they substitute 737s for uh, Bombardier planes, they substitute 77s for 737s as, as the demand increases. So uh, we have ways of dealing with infrastructure, uh, with congestion, that don't involve building new infrastructure. And that, so what we're really talking about is setting our priorities in such a way to make sure that the infrastructure we do build has funds to maintain it and will return uh, a positive multiplier on the GDP. Randall O'Toole is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.